Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. We're glad that you are with us, whether you're in the room or you're engaging online. Uh, We're in a series called The Way of Jesus, and we're working through the book of Luke and exploring, okay, what does it mean to actually orient our lives towards the way of Jesus? And what I notice is that there can be times that that there is a disconnect But even if we back it up away from spiritual things, have you ever had a relationship or a friendship or someone around you where you notice there's a disconnect between what what they say they want and how they live? You ever had people that you go, there's this disconnect between what they say is really important and how they actually live? It can be frustrating on the outside because you're looking going, can't you see it? Like you say this, but you do something different. It's so clear to me, and you can listen to people, often repeatedly, over and over again, say the exact same thing, and you're looking going, it seems so clear exactly what you need to do. But we also know when we're on the inside of that, and that's us, and we find ourselves in this place of disconnect between what we want and how we're living, it can be sometimes easier to miss it. It can be easier to see what we want to see and miss the things that really matter. Sometimes it is hard to have perspective. And it's true for each of us that there are moments that we look at our lives and it's hard to have perspective that's not skewed by giving ourselves excuses or saying, well, there's this going on and whatever it is. Sometimes the things that we want... There's a disconnect between what we do and how we're living and actually getting. We are unwilling to do the things that get what we want. Like, for example, we say, I want to get healthy. I'm committed. I'm going to get healthy. As we go through the Wendy's drive-thru for the seventh time this week. As we load up Uber Eats one more time and go, next time, I'll get healthy on Monday. Right? There's a disconnect between what we say we want and how we live. Or we go, I want to save money. Oh, I'm going to save money as we click on that sponsored post on Instagram and just buy one more thing that we don't need. We're like, I'm going to save money, but first I'm going to buy some more stuff. We have this disconnect. Or we go, I am single and I want a great relationship. But I'm not going to invest in actually growing as a person. I'm going to hope someone else fixes me. And there's a disconnect between what we say we want and what we are doing. And you know the thing that oftentimes the people around us that love us, they can see that disconnect long before we do. They look at us and they go, okay, I can see where something is not lining up. This is why we need actual community. We need actual people around us. Sometimes that's like a buzzword. We need community. We need actual people around us that aren't just willing to once a week go like, hey man, great to see you. You too. Nice. And that's it. 
Like people that are actually willing to go, how are you doing? And when you're like, I'm fine, they go, yeah. What else you got? Like that's it? And we need real community of people around us. This is so crucial because we need people that are willing to see the disconnects in our life. People that are willing lovingly to point out some areas where things aren't lining up. We need community, but this is also why we resist it. Because there's this part of going like, but I don't want to deal with that stuff. I don't, I don't really want to pay the price that I need to pay. I don't really want someone to tell me areas where I need to grow because I'm not sure I really want to. We can resist the very thing that we desperately need. And here's the reality. Our life is a system. Our life is a system of decisions and processes and all these things that lead towards results. And the truth is your life is perfectly designed currently to get the results you're currently getting. All the things you're doing are perfectly lined up to get exactly what you want. So if you recognize something needs to change, then something needs to change. And yet we find ourselves pulled back into this entropy where we go, but this is what I do. And so there's this disconnect. We look at areas in our life that honestly aren't working. But because it's us, sometimes it's hard for us to see, what, how do I get out of this? Like, how do I break this pattern? How do I move in a different direction? We need help. We need help that doesn't just somehow come from within. That's like the narrative. Just be you stronger from within. Just draw on yourself. But what do you hit, do when you hit a point where you're like, I don't know. I don't have the solution. I don't have it within me. I, I feel like there's things happening and I just have, I have questions and I'm stuck and I don't know what to do with those questions. Beautifully, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus at Collective. And beautifully, Jesus loves when we bring our questions to him. Jesus wants our questions. He wants our wrestle. He wants the things that we go, I don't know what to do. There's this moment where you go, I need help. And, it's, and the, Jesus is going, perfect. Now we can actually get to work. And the thing that I am reminded of consistently as I read the Bible more and more is if we read the Bible and we look at Jesus' words, there are four different accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read, actually read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are the answers to many of the questions that we continually ask. We love to think that we're so original. And yes, there are some problems we have in 22 that, 2022 that Jesus didn't have. Like when your neighbor runs over your, your Ethernet cable hookup and you have no internet for, it's the worst. Those are problems. Jesus, where's my answers? But most of the reality of the things that we experience as human beings, Jesus goes, humanity has struggled with this before. This is not somehow new. And if we look at Jesus' words, he offers help and guidance to us. But, and it's a big but, oftentimes Jesus gives answers that we don't want. And you look and go, I don't like what you say there. <laughs> I don't like your response. We ask for strength and we go, okay, I just feel so weak and I'm struggling. I just need strength. And Jesus goes, perfect, weakness is where I am strong. And you go, oh, 
I don't want to feel weak. I want to feel strong. Or we say, I want my own way. Jesus, let me do my own thing. And he goes, no, no, no. My way of life is better. And he tells us to die to ourselves. And you go, I, I don't like that. I don't want to die to myself. I want what I want with you added on. We ask for control because we feel out of control. And so we grasp for control. I just need control. And Jesus goes, if you actually follow my way of life, it unburdens you from all of that. And suddenly you take my yoke, you live in my way of life, and it is easier than you think. It's easier than the burden that you are trying to put on yourself. Sometimes we want compartmentalized faith. Like, I'm okay with church on a Sunday, but I don't know that I really want to do what God's asking me to do through the week. We want a faith that doesn't cost us anything, that doesn't require sacrifice from us. And Jesus' invitation is to surrender everything. And the thing that's so interesting is the very life that we are designed for and look for, we sabotage by thinking, I know the answer to the questions. Even if we go, I don't know what to do, we sabotage and we think, I want my own way. This is why it is so important that we actually become part of the way of Jesus, a new way of life. And what happens is that as Christians, if you're in the room and you would call yourself a Christian, that we realize over time as we follow Jesus and as he lovingly corrects us that we find areas where we put our identity in other things. And there's other things that we go, no, that's who I am. Yeah, Jesus follower, sure. Uh, Son or daughter of the king, yeah. But also, and we have this mix of things and so much of that when we get it out of order is so harmful for us. And what Jesus loves to do is prune us and he prunes those things where we where we think that this is what matters, and in that process, we struggle with it. So often, Jesus' response is not the way that we think it should be. It is not somehow that it just magically seems so easy and simple, and yet it is better. Jesus walks us into this way of life that is better than we could imagine, but it costs more than we know. So often, it's difficult and uncomfortable to follow Jesus, actually following Jesus. And so the question becomes, how do I respond? If Jesus tells you the solution to your problems, like I want you to just, even if you read the Bible and actually read what he says and go, okay, Jesus offers solution to your problems, what do you do when you don't like his answer? What do you do when you read it and go, I don't, I don't like what you're saying? We have the two responses. Either we assume we're wrong or we assume Jesus is wrong. So we go, we read something, and Jesus says something that confronts us, and we go, Jesus, I think you, though you are the Son of God, God incarnate, I think I'm probably right here. Like, you think of how arrogant that is. And yet, let's be honest, I do that in some places where I'm like, I know you say this about forgiveness, but have you met them? I don't want to do that. Whatever it is, take your pick. What do we do? This is the million-dollar question that, honestly, as humanity, we've been struggling with for thousands of years. Do I try to get Jesus to fit into my paradigm of life, or do I embrace his way of life? It's the question. 
It's the question at the very beginning that we have when we surrender our life to Jesus and then as Christians continually going, do I want my way or do I want his way? Do I want to lead towards things that are empty and and harming me or do I want his way that seems harder? What do I choose? We're found in that moment. We struggle with that. And that has been something that humanity has struggled with since the very start. In fact, there's a conversation that Jesus has in Luke 18 that speaks directly to this. And this is the beautiful thing about Scripture. It's written by many different people all pointing in the same direction, but none of it tries to make people look good. It's one of the ways that we know that we can trust the Bible because it's not trying to go like, well, pretty much all these Christians are wonderful. No, they're all a mess. The only one who's perfect is Jesus. Everyone else pretty much human. And so we find Jesus face-to-face with someone in Luke 18, and it is so helpful for us. Luke 18, verse 18 says this. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. So here we have this rich man that comes face to face with Jesus. And Luke tells us that he's not just a rich man, he's a religious leader. He's done really well for himself. He's lived a good life. He's done things that were were externally really good. He's profited. He's got some money. He's got some security. And he asks Jesus, good teacher, what should I do? What should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, even in this question, we see a premise that is faulty. Notice what he's asking. What must I do? Not who must I become, not what is the cost, not even how. How do I experience eternal life? How? How? No, do. What should I do? This man has questions, but his question is flawed. The premise is flawed from the very start because he frames his life in terms of what he has done. And he's asking, what do I need to do? do. So Jesus plays the game, and he answers the question that this man is asking, and he says, if you want to be saved, perfectly follow the commandments, and he gives a few of them. You must not commit adultery. Okay, that's good. Don't cheat. You must not murder. Don't kill anyone. Okay. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother, and I think, I wonder if there's this part that the guy's like, well, that's good. There's a bit of it that he just goes like, check, I've done those things. His response is, I'm, I'm good, I've, I've done those things. And yet, what we see is there was still something missing. He had done all the things that he knew to do, and yet there was still something missing. Have you ever experienced that? <laughs> you go, I'm doing all the things that I know to do. I'm, I'm living life as I've been shown and told to live, and it just there's this emptiness Like there's just something still missing. And at that point, living life the way you're supposed to meant perfect religious adherence. 
And even more than that, it wasn't even so much about living in a life that is pleasing to God. It's more like appearing like you live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, again, it's interesting. You think about that 2,000 years later, still the struggle just on the different side. It's not really about how we actually live in our heart. It's about how people perceive us to live. And especially in 2022, where increasingly there is a move away from God, there's this desire to go, I want to do my own thing, appear like everything is good, even if my life is falling apart. I want people on social media to go, oh, I wish I had a marriage like them. I want them to look at my kids and go, wow, my kids never eat that food. Like there's all these pieces of pretending like your life is something that it isn't. But the reality is, is for so many people, there's a disconnect because they're going, I'm doing all these things and there is something missing. There is a struggle. Mark Sayers, who is a pastor in Melbourne and a, a, an author, talks about it and he says, we want progress without presence. And so this idea that we want our life to appear like we're just getting better and better and evolving as human beings without God's presence. We want all the benefits of the kingdom of God without the king himself. We want to feel like, okay, I'm doing all these things and look how elevated my life is without the one who actually offers hope and really gives us an idea of what the good life actually is is this man sees salvation and eternal life as connected to following the rules and doing the things that he's been told and looking like he's doing all of them. And it it exposes some things because it, it really doesn't matter how my heart is. It doesn't matter what's inside of me. It just matters what I do and how I look to others. Anyone in here been watching Moon Knight? Anyone on Disney Plus watching Moon Knight? Okay. So Moon Knight is, is this show, and, and they talk a lot about, a lot of it is all about Egyptian gods, and it's all comic book, but it's, there, there's some interesting things because it talks about scales. So they're judging someone, and they're seeing, okay, do your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? And the Egyptian religion is very, very old. And there's a degree, you watch this, fa- this fictional fantasy show and you're like, well, that's ridiculous, right? Obviously, that's not real. But the truth is that many of us live our lives like that. Have I done enough good to outweigh the bad things I've done? This is certainly the narrative outside of the context of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is, have I done enough good to, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty good. How do we track that? Like, are we each day going like, I have, a, I have a spreadsheet. I did this bad thing. Shoot. But I did three other good things. Woo! So I'm good. Like, functionally, that can be, even as Christians, that can be how we live. We're like, I know God has given me this free gift of salvation. He's looked at me and he said, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. Now go and live out of that identity. And we go... Yeah, that's fine, but I just want to make sure I'm doing enough, that I'm doing enough. And we're not doing it because we're supposed to do it. We're doing it so we can somehow earn God's love. And we do, do, and we're like, okay, did I do enough? And here's the problem with that is that that kind of life makes us super insecure. When activity and adherence to following things and doing enough is our guardrail and it's our evidence of whether we've done enough, we'll always wonder, have I done enough? We'll always sit and go, 
I don't know. What if I missed something? What if I didn't count properly? What if my spreadsheet wasn't fully accurate? Like we have all these things that you go, it just doesn't work. It harms us. It kills us. It, it takes any sense of joy out of our lives. And we wonder why people are struggling and people feel so insecure. And I think this is a component of it. I said it um, a bunch of weeks back where we want to think earning, not effort. Because as Christians, we can go the other way. We're like, I don't have to do anything. God did it all. Jesus did it on the cross. And so I'm just waiting till heaven comes. Okay, that's not the way either. And so we want to put in effort, but our effort is never about somehow earning God's love. We don't do because we somehow hope we could become sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters, and so we get to live out of that identity. We get to do things for God because he loves us, and we live in that. If our hope is in our accomplishments and not in God, something is wrong. And the problem is that when we live in that, where we have this desire to earn something, and we go, okay, if I just do enough, it actually puts distance between God and us. The very thing that we're looking for and we're trying to solve actually becomes more of a hindrance. And this is not how Jesus works. And so the, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments. I've done it all. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. And so Jesus says, you followed the rules. Now sell everything. Sell everything and give it to the poor. You wanted to know what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Sell all of it, give it away, and come follow me. And the man's response in verse 23, but when the man heard this, he became very sad. For he was very rich. Now, I, I, if you've been around for a length of time, you know, but if you haven't, I don't, I don't tend to do a ton of word studies. So I don't tend to go... Uh, the Greek word here or the Hebrew word here, uh, unless it's really valuable. Because I think sometimes, for pastors especially, sometimes it's more, it's like, I just want to prove to the church that, that I, I'm not stupid and I did a degree in C, I know some things. And I want it always to be helpful. And so in this, I want to actually look at the Greek word that's used here because I think it is so helpful for us to put into perspective what's happening. Because if we see it on the surface level, we're like, wow, he was really sad. But it's actually, it's actually different than that. It's not just that he was really sad. The, the word here for the man became very sad is the word lupeo. So turn to your neighbor and say lupeo. Lupeo. Now you have to, the, you have to use it in a sentence this week. Lupeo. Okay, lupeo is this word that means grieved, not just very sad, grieved. And you know what's really interesting is that this word that means grieved is actually used in another place in the New Testament, and it is when Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's feeling the weight of what he's about to do. He's about to lay down his life, die on a cross. And he's grieved because for the first moment in his life, he is about to experience separation from God the Father. So Jesus feels grieved. And this man feels grieved. 
Tim Keller says this in his book, Jesus the King. When Jesus called this young man to give up his money, the man started to grieve because money was for him what the father was for Jesus. It was the center of his identity. That changes profoundly the significance of this passage. Because it wasn't just because he's sad because he knows how many zeros that he has in his bank account. He was sad because money was his identity. His identity wasn't in Jesus. It wasn't in God. It was in his money. He had, Jesus had spoke directly to his heart. And this is the thing that Jesus does so well. And he did it through the Bible and he does it. He'll go right to the heart issue. He'll go, oh, yeah, okay, you want to kind of navigate around the edge? And he goes right to the deep end. He's going, we're going we're gonna to actually expose the real thing. So it's not about the stuff that you need to do. It's actually that your money has your heart because that's where your identity is found. And so suddenly this passage isn't just about money. It's actually about identity. Jesus would love to expose where we have misplaced identity. I, I do this thing as a parent and I'm sure my kids will be like, please, Dad, stop. But I do like the good news, bad news. Anyone else do that with people? We're like, what do you want first, good news or bad news? Good news or bad news? Parker is a nihilist. He's like, bad news, always. And I'm like, wow, man. Ava's like, good news. And I'm like, I love you more. And so I want to do a good news, bad news for us, okay? Good news is, if we'll ask him, Jesus will actually, he'll actually show us areas or an area that are harm, that's harming us. He'll, he'll show us areas that are causing us not to experience the kind of life that we want to live. That's, that's good news. The bad news is that he will expose, just like this man, areas where I, our identity is misplaced and misordered or disordered. He, he won't just look at us and go, ah, it's fine, whatever. If we'll ask him, he'll show us, which is amazing, but it's going to be areas that you go, oh, okay, that's hard because we've put our identity there and we haven't really realized it. We haven't paid careful attention of going, oh, it's Jesus plus some other things. The problem wasn't this man's money. The problem was his identity. And 2,000 years ago, it's still our problem as people. Where do we put our identity? I have a short list, but listen, that list for each of us can be long and can encompass all sorts of things. If you actually reflect in your life, if you actually look at your life, where do you put your identity? Is it in, our, is it in your money? Is, are you like this man where you're like, my identity is in my, my money and the security that my job offers? Is it success? Is it external affirmation? My identity is in how many followers I get or how many people tell me I'm good enough or how many raises I get. Is my identity in external forms? Is my identity in my sexuality? Is my identity in my freedom? I get to do whatever I want to do. That's who I am. Is that our identity? Is our identity in politics? Man, in 2022, there's all sorts of things that can be the thing that we put our identity in, that we make the center of who we are, and it becomes Jesus kind of on the side as a peripheral, and these other things that take our heart and identify who we are. We're no longer sons and daughters of God. We are all these other things that the world tells us we should be and make first and foremost, and we miss the very thing that we are looking for. 
And the beautiful and completely subversive invitation that Jesus gave the man and he gives us is give it up. Give up the thing that has your heart. Give it up for something better. This is not just about you just have to give, 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 and that's it. It's because he wants you to have something better, and you can't have something better by still holding on, white-knuckling to the thing that is killing you. So maybe you're a Christian, and you're in the room, or you're engaging online, and you say, no, it's God. He is the center of my life. But then in moments of reflection and actual honesty, you go, but there's some other things that are telling a different story. There's some other things in my life that are telling something different. There, if I actually, if I was standing face to face with Jesus, I don't know, and not from a place of condemnation, but I don't know if that's actually fully true. Because we can know the right answer. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Certainly if you grew up in the church, you're like, I know the right answer. It's generally Jesus or God. I can know the right answer and still my life can be disconnected. And I can miss something. This man comes face to face with Jesus and finds himself in a transition moment. Comes face to face with Jesus and he gets a choice. There's something missing and he's looking going, okay, I can choose one way or the other. Jesus provides him with a choice and he provides us always with a choice. Jesus is never going to force anything on us. Sometimes he lovingly pushes us harder than we'd like to be pushed. But at the end of the day, we still have to make the decision of going, okay, which way do I want to go? And he's given two options. This man is given two options. Growth or stagnation. Growth, the way forward, or stagnation to stay where you are. He can choose growth. He can choose commitment. He can choose deepening commitment. Because as a Christian, we know that part of this walking with Jesus means that we're continually surrendering areas. And our commitment is deepening over time. This man can allow Jesus to confront and challenge some areas in his life. And he can actually submit to changing them. He can choose discomfort. And like the series, he can choose the way of Jesus. That's one option. Or the other is he can choose to remain stuck. It's not working. It's not doing well, but he can choose to continue to do that. He can choose stagnation. He can even choose to be the victim. I see this where it's so easy for us to take on this victim mentality where you go, it's always everyone else's fault and we don't actually take ownership ourselves. Like I imagine, I imagine him going, and this isn't in the Bible, it's just my imagination, that he goes to his friends afterwards and they're like, so you went and saw Jesus? And he's like, yeah. They're like, what did he say? He's like, he asked me to give up any, everything. Can you believe it? What a jerk. And they're like, yeah. You should just do what you've always been doing. It seems to work out. Like there's this moment that you can go, I'm going to choose stagnation and I'm going to blame everyone else when my life continues to go in the way that it's been going. Or I can choose growth. What does the man do? He chooses stagnation. He chooses not the way of growth. Why? Because it's so much easier to do what we've always done. It's like, I, I, I've done this. This is what I do. I just, I do this, and this is who I am. And he's going, Jesus gives him an invitation, choose a different way. And he goes, no, because it's, it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's costly. 
The invitation is to, is to live the way that leads to life, and instead he chooses the other way. This invitation of growth costs us and yet offers more than we know. And this moment is where we find ourselves today. And I would say as Christians continually, and I want to speak specifically to the people in the room or the people that are online that would call themselves followers of the way of Jesus, followers of Jesus, Christians, that this is a moment that we find ourselves in, this transition moment, transition moment. Do I want to choose growth or do I want to choose stagnation? Do I want my life to continue to go in the direction it's been going? Do I want my spiritual life to look like it's been looking based on what I've been doing? Or do I want more? Do I want something different? Do I want to blame everyone else for my things? Or do I want to take some ownership and choose the way of Jesus? I want to speak directly to us as Christians. And I want you to reflect on your life what do I have around me that causes me to remain more disconnected from God? What are the things that you notice in your life that, that actually make it more difficult to follow the way of Jesus? Like maybe it's, maybe it's your schedule. Because, I, I, listen, I get it where people are like, I'm, this is like the, the 2022, everyone says, I'm just really busy. Yeah, we're all busy. But at the end of the day, we choose what's important in our life. And so if we say, being close to God is important, but I, I haven't picked up my Bible in three years and I don't even pray, but I come to church on a Sunday, our life does not match up with what we want. So we, can, we can't somehow ask for a vibrant relationship with Jesus and then live in a way that leads to what we've always got. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's Family, maybe it's going like, first and foremost, my family is the most important thing, and it's even before God, and so I'll skip things and do other things and go, God, you can have the leftovers, because I'm busy, and I got stuff going on, and my family needs me, but can I be honest, for those of us that have kids, our families need us to have a vibrant relationship with God. They need us to have a transformative relationship. Our kids need to see that what it actually means to follow Jesus, we do not need more people that have consumer Christian values or you just go, oh, I'm just floating through hoping it all works out. They need people that actually follow Jesus. Our kids can stand on our shoulders and have a more vibrant faith. They, they will learn from us. And so we have an invitation. Maybe it's the friendships that you have where you're like, I'm, I'm surrounded by people that are not helping me to grow. And maybe it's a decision of going, I'm going to strategically build and invest in relationships that are going to help me to grow. I'm going to, willing, I'm going to be willing to let them to speak into my life. Maybe it's relationships and you're wasting time with people and you're going, I just, I want someone else to fill the, the you complete me. And God's going, um, so you want an imperfect person to try to make you perfect. Well, I'm perfect. What if you actually surrendered to me? What if you actually allowed me to fill the gap that you have, that you notice? And so we find ourselves in this moment of transition where we go, okay, what do I want? And beyond that, where is my identity? Is my identity in my job? Is it in my bank account? Is it in my freedom? Is it in my schedule? Is it in my sexuality, my politics? Is it anything other than Jesus is not good? 
Jesus at the center. The other thing's fine, but they need to be really in order. And if we notice things competing at the top, we should pay careful attention to why and be willing to do something about it. Now consider even the example that is in this passage. It's money. Money is the the focus. And money can be a significant part of our identity, whether we have a lot or a little. The amount of money isn't really the thing. People can be very rich and yet open-handed and generous, and they can be very not rich and close fists and, and very restrictive and going, this is mine, 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 mine. And sometimes we like to spiritualize and go, the, the issue is if people have lots of money. No, the issue is, does money have us? And so you look at this and you see this this tendency to make our identity in our money. And this can be a struggle for so many of us. Jesus knows our tendency. He knows our tendency to put our hope in our bank account and our jobs. And we go, I'm good. And instead of understanding that we are good and cared for because the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, our heavenly father has cared for us and meets our needs. We go, my needs are met by my job and my paycheck. My needs are met by my bank account. And we get our identity all out of whack. And then we live this life that is greedy. And we find ourselves living in a disconnected way from how we want to live. This is why Jesus gives this man an invitation to live generously. Generosity is the antidote to greed. You can't give and live in a life that is generous and cares about other people and still remain this closed fist going, it's just about me. It's this natural, beautiful invitation. This is why as Christians we give. This is why we give financially. We believe in the Christian principle of the biblical principle of tithing, that we give 10% from the very top of our money. Why? It's not just because we go, well, that's just what you're supposed to do. It's because God has given us everything. And when we give the first 10%, we just go, we remind ourselves, this is yours anyway. And we also believe that God can do more with 90 than we can with 100, holding it like this. I'm going to take it from here. And God goes, trust me. Don't just trust your money. It reminds us that our hope is not found in our money, but in God, the one who provides us. And we do this not to earn his love, but as a response to his extravagant love. And so maybe for some of us in the room, you go, money is the thing that has been my identity. And maybe there's an invitation, and I would give it to you to go with the prayer team and pray, or pray in your seat and go, God, what are you asking me to do? And then respond to that. But maybe for others of us in the room, you go, that's not really my problem. Like, I'm pretty willing to give any, any time, and I live generously. Maybe it's something else. See, the beautiful thing is that Jesus is not just going, well, if you have an issue with money and that's your identity, then shame on you. He's going, all of us have issues with misplaced and disordered identity. Maybe you have other things in your life where you go, I'm struggling. And maybe you even know what it is. Like maybe as I've been speaking, you're like, shoot, I know exactly what that thing is that I put my identity in that is not what God wants me to do. It's not God at the start or God at the top. It's something else. And if that's you, I want to invite you to, to actually take steps toward it. But maybe you're in the room and you go, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what areas of my life I have misplaced identity. Um, if you find people that love you and love Jesus and actually ask them, they'll tell you. 
Like, this is the beautiful thing as a community. We can look at each other and go, I love you. I want more for you. And if the person invites it, like, that's always the key thing. Please don't go home now or talk to people in the lobby and go, I know what your thing is. That's not helpful. But when we invite someone who cares about us and knows us, like, what do you notice in me that is, there's a disconnect between what I'm saying and what I want and what I'm doing and what I, what I want in, in my relationship with God. There's a misplaced identity. Help, help me to, then we have people that will lovingly help us in that. They'll go, have you ever noticed that you say this and do this? And you're like, huh. So whatever it is, for us to, again, to reflect on where our identity is misplaced and disordered. Lay down the things that are holding you back. If you want something different, don't continue to go in the same direction hoping for different results. I want you to know that God desperately wants more for you. He wants to actually give you a new identity. He doesn't want your identity to be in all the other things. He wants you to know that you are a son and a daughter of the highest king. You are a son and a daughter of God the Father. That is who your identity is. And suddenly all the times that you feel like I need to prove myself to other people, you go, no, because God sees me and loves me. And all the times you go, if I just get enough money and God, you go, no, but God cares for me. And all the times you think, okay, this political thing and political party, you go, no, God is the one who offers true hope and salvation. It completely reorients our perspective and our fixes our eyes on God yet again. Do not allow fear or stagnation to take root. Choose Growth. Choose the way of Jesus. We find ourselves at a transition point. We'll find ourselves continue these moments of going, what do I want? Do I want growth or stagnation? And if you are not a Christian, whether you're in the room or you're engaging online, I want to let you know that we, as human beings, have sinned and fallen short. That means that all of our imperfections creates a distance between us and God. And so all the things in our life that we're looking for and we're hoping for and we need to complete who we are and to change us and restore us, all of it is found in God and yet we'll spend all our life looking for other things and hoping that that does it. And so we cannot get our way, work our way, earn our way to God. Instead, God sends his son to die for us. But before he does, live a perfect life and then to give his life for, on the cross and rose again. That's the Easter message and the reminder of our faith. So that we might be restored to new life. So that we could experience a new identity. And in that, if we'll surrender our lives and lay it down and say, I want to follow you. I believe you are who you say you are. We experience a completely new identity as sons and daughters of God. And this is the invitation and if you're in the room or you're online and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Let us know. If you're in the room, let us know. If you're online, fill out a connect card. We want you to experience life the way that you were designed to live it. For those of us that are in the room that are Christians, for those of us that are continually learning how do I Follow the way of Jesus and surrender. Let us not grow weary in doing good. 
Let us not choose the easy way, but instead to choose the better way, the way of Jesus. We want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. I want to invite us as we worship for you to actually ask God to challenge and confront and to ask you to give you courage to talk to someone that cares about you and loves Jesus that can help you to see where your identity is misplaced. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us and then we'll worship. God, I am so grateful that you see us, that you love us, but that you are guiding us forward. God, I pray that in these moments as we respond in worship, that you would, that you would uh, lead us, that you would illuminate things to us, that we would not experience condemnation, but instead conviction that we would see where you are guiding us forward. God, help us to be reminded that our identity is first and foremost in you, that we align our lives with you, with your way. God, get rid of any other distraction that causes us to veer left or veer right. We want you. As we worship, God, we lift you up. We focus our eyes on you. Have your way. We need you. In Jesus' name. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.